0: On today's Winning Cures Everything, Pac-12 media rights mess again, a Big 12 Pro Day, spring football, early win totals, the Jimbo Circus, scheduling updates, and more.
1: You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast.
2: Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code Staple20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code Staple20. Can you believe it? It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything.
3: Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host, a confident young man, a superb athlete,
0: Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, powered by BetUS, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. This is the Tuesday, March 28th edition of the show. It's season 8, episode 21. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. And uh, whether you're watching or listening to the podcast, hit subscribe so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. You guys, the springtime allergy season has hit in full force. My voice, the sniffles, the red watery eyes, uh, it's all back. I'm on the brink right now, but we are going to survive, of course. Uh, first off, I do want to send out thoughts. You know, we, Our thoughts are with everyone in Mississippi dealing with the tornadoes from over the weekend, thoughts with everyone in Nashville after that situation that happened on Monday. Uh, feels like the South's kind of been through it the last week, you know? Uh, so I wanted to go ahead and put this out there to start things off today. Bring a bit of awareness. Make sure that people don't forget about those that uh, still need help. So make sure that you uh, do what you can. On Twitter, I have shared out a few things where you can donate or you can get involved if you would like to. Uh, but yeah, check check those things out. As far as college football news is concerned, we got a lot to catch up on. Uh, some of today's topics might be just a little bit dated, not too, too much. Uh, I've been working on team previews for a bit. Uh, I'm working on a new method for getting my college football numbers out through social media, etc. But uh, but for now, let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start off, uh, write down my times, of course. Let's talk Pac-12. I mean, you know we got to. Uh, we do it almost every show at this point. But we got to go ahead and get it out of the way because, you know, we have to continue talking about this until something gets done. Now, first off, I, I don't know anything anymore. Any information that I have seen or that I have been sent has just been a mess. It is a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot of conflicting stuff, right? As of yesterday, uh, or I guess last week, like I've never seen anything like the media mess. Right, CBS's Dennis Dodd, uh, the New York Post Andrew Marchand, Action Network's Brett McMurphy all claim that Fox is out of the Pac-12 negotiations. John Canzano, uh, who has always been pretty reliable, swears that Fox is involved. Like, it, it's crazy to see the back and forths, right? There's a lot of hurt feelings going on, uh, on you know, something that at the end of the day we're not going to know anything about until a deal gets done or somebody moves. Like, I've not talked about this in weeks, so we'll... We'll try to get uh, caught up a little bit. Now, we now have had multiple Pac-12 presidents go on the record, which does not happen often. Uh, But just to keep track, that is the leaders at Washington State, uh, Oregon State, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State, and the AD at Colorado. Now, notice that I did not say Washington or Oregon or even Stanford or Cal, right? To make things even more weird, the new president at Oregon, John Carl Scholes was previously the provost at Wisconsin, where he was very much in favor of the Big Ten expanding by taking in USC and UCLA. Now, he said uh, after the move was announced last year, this expansion helps solidify the Big Ten Conference as the one true national powerhouse conference with member universities, teams, and fans stretching from coast to coast. As importantly, it adds two outstanding academic institutions to the Big Ten, the premier Power Five academic conference in the country. And then, of course, once he took over for the Ducks, he hedged on that a bit and uh, is stated that he wants to see what's in the best interest of the University of Oregon before answering any expansion questions. But I digress. Uh, when these presidents have spoken, some have at least stated their expectations, which I'm sure Commissioner Goff has heard, right? Basically, the Big 12 got $31 million per school in their deal. The Pac 12 probably needs to get around $27, 28000000 per school or more in order for everyone to remain happy. So uh, the question, of course, is where are we on this? Now, two weeks ago, John Canzano said on 750th Game in Portland that the meeting last Tuesday would be really important because he thinks, and I quote, there's some motivation from the presidents and chancellors to wrap this. Now, he then went on to say, I do think what's going to happen is I think the Pac-12 is going to end up with ESPN for its Tier 1 rights. I think you're going to see Apple and Amazon come in with a streaming service for the Tier 2 rights, which will be the Pac-12 network games, and I think it will be blended together. Now, he also stated that we could hear something about Pac-12 expansion before the media rights deal gets finalized, saying, quote, I think we might get that expansion news before we get the media rights news. What I'm thinking is SMU and San Diego State will probably be informed by the Pac-12, hey, we're extending an invitation, or we're not, prior to the announcement of the deal. Because they're not going to want to be left going, hey, we have a deal. And a day later, oh, we're announcing SMU in San Diego State. So uh, he expects that we were going to get a leak on the expansion front first. And that all sounded great. Like there was a board meeting scheduled. Now, the board did not meet on Tuesday. And that was per John Wilner. Kenzano confirmed it was pushed back to Wednesday, March 22nd. There was no need to speculate on on what in the world the move might have meant. Could just be a you know, scheduling snafu. Arizona State was attempting to lock up a basketball coach in Bobby Hurley. Uh, to an extension, I mean, it could have been something crazy. Maybe, you know, one of the kids had to, uh, one of their kids maybe had to uh, come home from school early, sick or something. There's no telling. Like, meetings like that do get uh, canceled. But anyway, John Wilner confirmed that the meeting did happen, and he stated that the president's received a positive update and that the process will continue. The next board meeting is the second week of April. And he pointed out that the situation could be resolved before that or after, And the sources have told him that negotiations with Apple and Amazon take significantly longer than they do with ESPN because those companies don't have contractual templates for college football deals. Every step goes back to the lawyers for review. So, you can do with that what you will, I guess. Uh, Jim Williams, of course, writer for Zinger News and a Forbes contributor, this is somebody I've talked about multiple times here, Uh, he had an interesting article last Tuesday titled, will Amazon or Apple TV Plus offer the Pac-12 a deal they can't say no to? Now, there have been rumors as recently as last Tuesday that ESPN backed out of the Pac-12 negotiations, which I don't necessarily buy because ESPN needs to be able to fill their Saturday and, and Friday night windows. Um, but there have been rumors you know, a couple of weeks ago that Apple was out because they wanted a whole allotment of games and the Pac-12 wasn't willing to roll with just subscriber-only streaming yet. Uh, but anyway, back back to Jim's article. In his article, he states, what we've been able to read from the tea leaves is that the conversation about a possible deal is one that's heavy on streaming distribution over a more traditional model of linear TV. Now, of course, he continued, when I sat down to write this article, it was to point out how hard it would be to say no to Amazon or Apple because of a great deal of research and development money that flows into member schools, not to mention the alumni base who work in the tech industry-based Less than an hour from the Pac 12 offices. But things have changed very quickly to the point where the hard part might be saying yes. Uh, he said, indications point to Apple TV as the front runner, and attempts are being made by Klyovkov to carve out a package to include ESPN and Amazon. This is very interesting stuff, right? Now he brings up a note to 80s, hoping uh, for more exposure with Linear, that they would likely have to settle for a lowball deal with ESPN that's probably going to land a majority of games on ESPN. But he goes on to say something interesting about Apple here. He said, In 2019, less than one month after the launch of Apple Plus, uh, or Apple TV+, Plus, Apple CEO Tim Cook made it clear that he wanted the Pac-12 rights, and he sent some of his senior staff over to meet then-Commissioner Larry Scott to find out what it would take to land the rights that were not up until 2024. In a 2019 interview with the San Francisco Examiner, former Pac-12 Network's President Mark Shukin said that Apple is, quote, very interested in learning more about the rights and learning more about the business to determine whether they would be a viable partner in 2024. Shuckin closed with, they said that, on the surface, we look like a good partner to investigate. Apple wants the Pac-12 conference's primary media rights package, not a digital one. Now, Shuckin, of course, (laughs) was one of the executives fired by the Pac-12 due to the undisclosed overpayments by a distribution partner. Which, by the way, anybody notice how that whole story has just completely disappeared. I mean, nobody even brings this up anymore. Like, I, I have wondered this. Is Comcast just going to be cool with letting the Pac-12 pay them back, you know, while moving over to a streaming service, which Comcast will not be involved with? Or are they going to try and stop a streaming deal so the games aren't taken off a of cable? Like, it's just, just something to ponder here. Anyway, going back to the article, Williams goes on to talk about how much the Pac-12 favors academics, which is not a surprise, of course and how some schools are really tied in with the tech giants at Apple and Amazon. He wrote, Stanford is the home of Apple's multi-million dollar virtual reality research and development lab, along with the medical school uh, having an arraignment with the company to test the Apple Watch heart monitoring program. A study done by Universum in November 2022 proved how involved Cal and Stanford are in the tech industry. He followed that up by talking about how, Stanford and Cal have the highest number of alumni employed at top tech destinations like Google, Amazon, and Apple before diving into Amazon's involvement in Seattle at the University of Washington. Uh, He said, Washington and Amazon have joined together to create a science hub, which is an effort that deepens the relationship between the two organizations and will advance innovation in core robotics, artificial intelligence technologies, and their applications. Amazon's initial investment of $1.9 million dollars will support a broad set of programs, including fellowships for doctoral students, uh, collaborations among researchers, and support for collaborative research events. The Hub's initial focus will accelerate AI robotics and engineering in the Seattle area while embracing neighboring academic institutions and the public through events. Now, it's not just those schools, right? He mentions Apple and Amazon having a major presence in what's known as the Silicon Forest, Oregon and Oregon State. Other schools have seen their academics improve dramatically due to their involvement with the Pac-12 and those Tech Giants. Utah, of course, being invited to join the AAU in 2019. That was the first public school invited since Georgia Tech in 2010. Now that I'm thinking, that's not actually a public school. So, I mean, it had been a long time uh, for, before Utah was invited uh, that they had actually invited a public school. Jim continues on by stating that he's been told that Kleofkov is nearing a deal with Apple TV+. Plus and will have access to Cook's right-hand man, Eddie Cue, who is the Senior Vice President of Services of Apple. He is the one, of course, who masterminded the Tech Giants deal to stream every MLS game through a joint platform between them and the league. It was also Cue who met with Fox Sports President Eric Shanks to set up a package of 15 games that Apple will produce and stream, but air on the linear network. Now, of course, MLS Deputy Commissioner Gary Stevenson said in an interview, as part of that agreement with Apple, We discussed the idea, and they agreed and, in fact, endorsed the idea of us doing some selected linear agreements so that we could continue to show our product to fans who haven't uh, either seen it or are in the process of becoming streamers and aren't yet. He said, we wanted to make sure that as this transition is happening, we still had exposure. And I will admit, that sounds like something the Pac-12 might really be interested in. Like, could Apple take over the Pac-12 networks and sell some games to ESPN in order to continue the exposure? Uh, or, or for that point, I mean, I guess Fox as well. Uh, if it's been done with MLS, it could make sense for playoff Coffee Company. So the options on the table appear to be this, right? Apple TV gets the deal, and they sublease games to ESPN or Fox or whoever. Amazon gets a Friday night game. ESPN gets everything else and backloads the non-prime matchups on ESPN+. This one seems the least likely, as it is pretty widely known that ESPN is not going to offer enough money. Uh, or finally, Apple TV gets everything except for two ESPN Friday and Saturday night games each week. I don't think that Apple would really be interested in that. All in all, I mean, I'm at the point of begging the Pac-12 to get this over with, right? Either announce a deal or just say it ain't happening. Everybody figure it out. Like, honestly, I was I was so intrigued by the hire of Klyovkov to replace Larry Scott. I mean, the Pac-12 went outside the box, and they brought in somebody that appeared to be very business savvy. But let's, let's go through a list of what has happened since he actually took over as commissioner. He joined this thing called the Alliance, right? So we got that one. Uh, that voted to block early CFP expansion to the detriment of his own league, uh, which gave USC and UCLA a chance to leave his conference, which effectively killed the Alliance and severely weakened the Pac-12. He then fought like hell to get the UC system to block UCLA's move to the Big Ten, which, of course, note here, did not work. uh, Allowed the Big 12 to skip him in line for a new media rights deal because he wanted to wait and go to the open market. They uncovered overpayments by a distribution partner that the conference now has to pay back. He had FOIA requests, proved that he lied about interest in a Big 12-Pac-12 merger. And now, of course, he has been public-spottedly... Excuse me, they have... (laughs) He has been spotted publicly in Dallas talking to SMU about expansion and now nearly 9 months later he still doesn't have a new media rights deal done. I don't know how it could have gone much more poorly for Kleofkov. Like some of this was the mess that he had to clean up from Larry Scott, but man, like it has been one thing after another here. Like hopefully a deal will come soon because I think that I speak for all of us when I say that we are are tired. We're just tired. Give us some semblance of stability with this. That's what that's what we're really looking for. All right. Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS. With fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and, of course, an easy-to-use layout. It's easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sportsbook for nearly 30 years. Right now, you can wager with a $50 free play with no deposit required, Just by signing up using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal and get signed up over at BetUS where the game begins. All right, moving along. Like I said, we got a lot to talk about today. The Big 12, moving over to that conference, they announced the debut of a conference-wide Pro Day beginning in 2024. It will be held at the Star in Frisco, Texas, broadcast on the NFL Network and will eliminate Pro Day on individual campuses and instead bring all 12 teams to one location. Brett Yormark, of course, the commissioner of the Big 12, was pretty excited about this announcement. He said this in a statement. He said, The first of its kind, Big 12 Pro Day will provide our student-athletes an opportunity to showcase their talent and skill as they turn their NFL dreams into reality. Through this partnership with the NFL, Big 12 student-athletes will receive national media exposure across NFL Network and NFL media platforms. We are thrilled to partner with the NFL to host this pro day. And of course, we look forward to creating a special experience for our student athletes. Now, your mark continues to try and find new ways to monetize and bring value to the conference. It's pretty commendable, honestly. And getting a broadcast deal with the NFL for this is certainly going to help things, along with whatever sponsorships they can scrounge up for it, right? On top of that, the 12 schools that'll be in the conference in 2024 have only had a combined 119 NFL draft picks over the last five years. That is an average of 23.8 picks per year. That's less than, of course, two per school. But you take away the four new schools, the remaining eight schools, the ones that are left—or excuse me, the ones that are left after Oklahoma and Texas—have a total of 72 draft picks in the last five years. That's an average of only 14.4 per year combined. Uh, it's only 1.8 per school per year. you're getting more NFL eyes on the players. In a centralized location, it could certainly help see more players be drafted. It could basically be like a mini-combine. Along with that, Sports Business Journal, moving on, of course, keeping in with the Big 12. uh, The Big 12 is closing in on a new data rights deal. A data partner typically manages and distributes official stats to media and fan sites, but there is a possibility that this deal could also include the rights to sell data to sports betting services, which could massively improve the financial value of the deal. Only two conferences have struck data partnerships so far. That would be the Mid-American with the Genius Sports and the Pac-12 with Tempest X Machina, but neither included the ability to sell stats to sports betting services. The deal is, of course, believed to be with IMG Arena, which is owned by Endeavor, who is known to have a deep relationship with the Big 12. Uh, Going back to, of course, the, the draft numbers and whatnot, I'm going to roll through and tell you exactly how many players have been drafted by each school in the Big 12 uh, going forward over the past five years. Baylor has had 12, BYU 8, Cincinnati 16, Houston 11, Iowa State 7, Kansas 3, Kansas State 6, Oklahoma State 13, TCU 13, Texas Tech 9, UCF 12, and West Virginia 9. All right we've got some interesting gambling news to hit on per the AP. The U S gambling industry is adopting a new responsible marketing code that will ban sports books from partnering with colleges to promote sports wagering bar payments to college and amateur athletes for using their name, image, or likeness. And of course, in the use of the terms free or risk-free to describe promotional bets. Now, ever since PASPA was repealed back in 2018, the growth and marketing of sports gambling sites has gone above and beyond. Uh, one New York congressman has in, uh, excuse me, introduced legislation that would ban all online and digital sports betting advertising. Bill Miller, president and CEO of the American Gaming Association, stated it has always been important that we get sports betting right. It's always been our number one interest in creating a high bar for responsible advertising and protecting consumers. Now, this always felt weird to have sports books Uh, you know, have partnerships with colleges where a good portion of the student body is not even, you know, old enough to legally gamble on sports. Like freshmen and sophomores are getting the same advertisements and are being cultured to start gambling early before they really understand what they're doing. Uh, The schools that already had deals done with sportsbook operators were as follows. Uh, Michigan State and LSU both had a deal with Caesars Entertainment. Colorado and Maryland both had a deal with PointsBet. And the University of Denver had one with Superbook. Like, uh, overall, I think this is a good thing, right? Legislation changes on things over time, and this is just another sign of that. I think it's a good idea, honestly. Uh, we'll, we'll see what other changes come about, but this is certainly a step in the right direction because I don't think that having a, a specific deal with a university is in the best interest of uh, really everybody involved. And on the other side... We're going to talk spring football on TV. We got some early win totals for 2024. The Jimbo Circus continues to be awkward, and uh, Shane Beamer wants to fight. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the Bet US TV College Football Channel. And now, back to the show. Per Brian Howell, who covers Colorado for Buff Zone, Colorado's spring football game will be broadcast by ESPN on April 22nd at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Now, he says that it is the only spring game that will air on ESPN's main network, which is true because Georgia's is going to be on ESPN2. Alabama's will be on ESPN Plus or SEC Network, etc. Per a CU release, 35,000 tickets have been sold for the game. It will be by far the highest attended spring game in Buffs history. Uh, the previous attendance high for the spring game was 17,800 back in 2008. In 2022, there were only 1,950 fans that showed up, and it was worse in 2021 with only 1,000. As I mentioned, uh, Georgia's spring game will be on ESPN2 on Saturday, April 15th, the week prior to Colorado's. Uh, we'll go through you know the spring game schedules as we get closer to the games, Right before the weekends, et cetera. We do know that this weekend, Michigan's spring game is going to be on the Big Ten Network at 3 p.m. So, you know, we'll have some college football to go along with the Final Four this weekend. Not too shabby. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, let's see. We got to talk win totals. We got to talk win totals. A popular American sports book has released season win totals on a few of the more interesting college teams for the 2023 season. Now, obviously, on this show, we talk about US, but here is what's out so far. We'll, we'll just go through this. Uh, there are nine teams that they have come out with. We'll start with the SEC. Georgia, their win total is 11.5. The over is plus 116. The under is minus 142. Of course, to go over, uh, Georgia would have to go 12-0. and 0. Georgia, their schedule is a joke. Like, this should be an over. Honestly, they'll be double-digit favorites in every regular season game. Uh, it's juiced, but the uh, odds are they will probably, uh, because of win probability and whatnot, they'll, they'll probably lose a game somewhere. They didn't last year. Just throwing it out there. Tennessee's over-under is 9.5. The over is plus 146. The under is minus 188. The question here, of course, what is Tennessee with Joe Milton? Which version of him are we going to get? They beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl, but if you look back at that game, Clemson could not finish drives. The Tigers outgained the Vols by over a hundred yards in that game. They had two turnovers. They were terrible with scoring opportunities. It's like, do we have definitive proof that the defense is going to be improved for Tennessee this year? Like, what about the offensive line? They're, they're only returning 63% of the snaps and they're number 99 in the country in offensive returning production. So if you bet the over, you're really just betting on Hypo. Uh, that's I, I'm a little, I'm a little bit concerned there. Georgia excuse me nope LSU we're moving on to LSU we already hit Georgia LSU is eight and a half uh they're you know to go over eight and a half is minus 132 to go under is plus 108 uh, of course the over is juiced here this is a preseason top 10 team uh I'm kind of surprised it's not more like they restocked their secondary through the transfer portal they got two starting quality uh quarterbacks the offensive line looks legit Malik Neighbors is back Mason Smith should be back healthy Uh, They still got that violent demon, (laughs) Harold Perkins. And the schedule is not absurd. Like Florida State neutral, road games at Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri, and Bama. Uh, They got Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, and A&M at home. Like this thing should be 9.5, honestly. All right, now we'll move on to the Big 10 teams. Let's start with these two. Michigan is 10.5. The over is plus 116. The under is minus 142. And I'm going to go on and add this one in there with it. Ohio State's is also 10.5. But it is juiced a lot differently. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. Michigan is number five in the country in early returning production. And yet, even with their joke of a non-conference schedule, they are juiced significantly to the under, while Ohio State, who lost their quarterback along with several other high-profile stars, is juiced to the over. Like, it just shows the difference in the talent disparity between the two squads. Like, I don't really have a feel on either of these yet. I haven't really been diving into the Big Ten. But uh, but that is a very... Interesting discrepancy there. Penn State's over-under is 9.5. The over is minus 108. The under is minus 112. I'm not going to lie. I love the Nittany Lions this year. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but uh, I expect this team to be awesome. I expect them to be awesome. Iowa's win total, 8.5. Over is plus 134. The under, minus 164. Like Raise your hand if you've got faith in Brian Ferentz's offense to win nine games. <laughs> I know, I know that they're bringing in the transfer from Michigan, Cade McNamara. But man, that offense had more wrong than just a quarterback, I think. Uh, and now they're losing a bunch of receivers and tight ends, blah, 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 All right, continuing on, uh, we have an independent team and a Pac-12 team. Notre Dame is eight and a half. Uh, over and under both, they're sitting at minus 110. Sam Hartman should be awesome here, but... Obviously, the question is, who is he going to throw to? Uh, Are they going to change their offensive philosophy? If so, is that going to help or hurt? Like The schedule includes uh, games at NC State, Ohio State, at Louisville. uh, Excuse me. At NC State, Ohio State, at Louisville, USC, Pitt, and at Clemson. I think the number looks about right. uh, Because you would expect them to lose at least three of those six. Like If this thing is sitting at eight and a half, do they go nine and three or do they go eight and four? I mean, that, that's the question, right? So I'm very curious about that one. right? And then over to the Pac-12, Colorado. Their win total sits at 4.5. Now, the over is plus 114. The under is minus 138. I know that there is a lot of hype on Colorado, but this team won one game last year. Like, the talent has been upgraded. Deion Sanders is doing his thing. It's basically a completely different team, but that's a long way to jump. Like, you open at TCU and then at home against Nebraska. And then the first three conference games are at Oregon, USC, and at Arizona State. But you've also got to play at UCLA, at Washington State, and at Utah later on in the year. Like, these are all difficult places to play. There's a reason why the under is juiced here. That's going to be a tricky situation. I'm very curious to see what that roster ends up looking like. Just just to see. Let's talk Houston for a minute. The Athletic had an interesting article about Houston's football program moving into the Big Big 12, and it talked about a lot of interesting stuff. The most important thing or interesting thing in the article to me was Dana Holgerson responding to an ESPN article that intimated the possibility that he could be on the hot seat. Like His response was this. Let me go on and quote this. He said, we won 20 games in two years. We won bowl games in back-to-back years. I have five years on my contract with an effing impossible buyout, so there ain't no effing hot seat in my mind. There just ain't. <laughs> now, normally you hear a coach say something like this, and it seems a bit tone deaf, but the truth is, I think he's probably right. Like, Houston likely is happy with the fact that they have a coach that already has experience in the Big 12, and they want somebody that's established in the program during that transition, rather than attempting to go hire somebody new immediately. Like, not to mention the fact that the AD has been singing his praises and seems to be fully in his corner. Like, Holgo is an an acquired taste for sure, but I do still believe he's the best fit for Houston football right now. I've just, I've never heard a coach being so confident to the point of cocky that he's not on the hot seat after a a rather disappointing season by the school standards. This was very interesting to see. Uh, Quick reminder hit that like button for me, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. This is a one-man operation. It's only me over here. So uh, so every like, subscribe, podcast, review, and share really helps out, along with, you know, you can pick up something from the merch store, which you can see on the on the screen right there. Um, that would help out tremendously. So go ahead and, and do that for me if you would. The experiment of Bobby Petrino being Jimbo Fisher's OC at Texas A&M has started off as awkwardly as we all imagined it might. Last week at Jimbo's first spring press conference, uh, and this was, of course, his first meeting with reporters since Petrino was hired, he immediately started off by getting visibly irritated and, and shaking his head. The first question was interrupted by Fisher. It started off, quote, Jimbo, how much difference will there be in the offense and how much, and then, of course, Fisher started in. We ain't worried about that. Here's what we're doing. Fisher said, holding up his right hand and swatting away the question before new coordinator, Bobby Petrino's name could be uttered. We're running our thing. We're going to be base fundamentals. We ain't getting into scheme. We ain't getting into anything. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do at practice and what we're going to do on a daily basis. Like it did not get much better from there. Uh, everybody knows Petrino was brought in because the AM offense was not up to snuff last year, which I'm sure is a very personal thing for Jimbo Fisher because that's his baby, right? He's, He's been an offensive guy his entire career, and this is the first place that it really just has not worked. Like, he was asked eventually who would call plays for the offense this year, to which he replied. This cracks me up every time. He said, I mean, we'll go through that as we go, which he I mean, gotta admit is pretty weird uh, for sure. But then he interrupted the start of the next question with plan on him making calls, plan on him calling plays. I have no problem with that at all. Like, why mention that you don't have a problem with it unless you do indeed have a problem with it? Like, this was incredibly uncomfortable. It's like a person with anxiety issues watching an episode of The Office. Like he did he did say some of the right things about how they, you know, they felt like Petrino was a good fit for what they want done in the program, et cetera. How him not focusing so much on the offense has opened up availability for him to work on, you know, some of the newer issues that have arisen with being a head coach, like the transfer portal, recruiting, player issues, all that. Uh, There's obviously a chance that this ends up being a fantastic hire that gets the Fisher era back on track in college station. But man, this ride has certainly started out bumpy. I cannot wait until we get into the fall. Cannot wait for it. All right, let's talk scheduling updates we got a slew of them. Let's, uh, let's talk about scheduling updates for the 2023 season first, right? Quick. Army at UTSA has been moved from Saturday, September 16th to the Friday night game on September 15th. That's going to be an AAC game. I would imagine it's going to be on ESPN now. Uh, so that that's certainly a TV move. The Florida at Utah game on Saturday, September 2nd has also been moved to Thursday, August 31st. Now, that was going to be one of the more interesting games on that opening Saturday. Uh, one of the most, uh, I guess, likely most viewed On that opening Saturday. I imagine this was done to compete with the Nebraska at Minnesota game. That's going to be on Fox that night. Um, But just a guess. Also uh, news about the 2024 season. is already coming out. Florida State will be opening the 2024 season on week zero versus Georgia Tech. In Dublin, Ireland at Aviva Stadium. And this is part of the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Which is hosting Notre Dame versus Navy this season. They had Nebraska and Northwestern last season. If you're curious what this is all about, Aer Lingus, that's A-E-R-L-I-N-G-U-S, that's an international airline that was founded by the Irish government and is now a wholly owned subsidiary of International Airlines Group. So they've decided the best form of promotion for tourism will be getting college football fans to travel to see their team in Ireland on their flights. Like they're they're playing on people's passions. I, I respect it. I really do. Uh, we also learned in uh, 2024 that LSU and USC would be playing um, in the Vegas kickoff class. Well, we learned it in 2021, uh, but in 2024, USC LSU Vegas kickoff classic that's now been announced for Sunday, September 1st, 2024 at 7:30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. It'll be at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Those two schools, by the way, had the two most ho- uh, high-profile coaching changes. Following that 2021 season, uh, of course, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. Storylines are going to be crazy leading up to this one. Overall should be a really fun matchup. Like both will likely be breaking in a new starting quarterback. Uh, all sorts of stuff will be going on about this. So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what they end up doing in that game. Troy has inked John Sumrall to a new four-year contract that includes a pay raise increased staff salary pool and additional program investments for players. This is per Pete Thamel at ESPN. This is an interesting one to me. Uh, Summerall came in and immediately fixed a fledgling uh, program that obviously had all the pieces there, uh, but Chip Lindsey could not get that thing done for whatever reason. Uh, The reason that this is interesting to me is because the hiring cycle was done. Nobody was coming to steal John Summerall right now. Like, you look at what they did last year. Troy was number 13 in returning production last year. They had a power five level defense, like a a top 15 strength defense um, because of all that returning experience. Like, the offense was mediocre at best. They were number 82 in offensive success rate last year, number 64 PPA per drive, and that was against the weaker Sunbelt West division. Like, this year, it's going to be a bit different. They're number 76 in returning production, number 91 on defense. Like, if Summerall can keep it up, Like, Troy won't be able to afford to keep him anyway, and he'll end up at an SEC school. Like, you can check these. Of course, Billy Napier is at Florida, and Eli Drinkwitz is at Missouri. Like, I'm not sure that I understood the timing of this. Obviously, it was in Summerall's best interest to strike while the iron's hot, but the initial contract that Troy gave him was basically to come in and fix the mess, and that's what he did. Like, he did his job. Now, I haven't seen the numbers. It might not be a huge raise, but. College programs bidding against themselves has been a thing for years now. Like, I guess this is no surprise. Maybe it's just like a, a goodwill raise to keep everybody happy. Uh, but when you really get to the nuts and bolts of it, it's not like he's going to accept a pay decrease if they only win seven games next year. Like, college sports contracts are so weird. This is just another example of it. Another example of it. Let's talk about Shane Beamer. South Carolina head football coach Shane Beamer went on Barstool's Bussin' with the Boys podcast and talked about fighting other SEC coaches. He said this, there's a few I can say that certainly at times I definitely would want to fight with. He said, fight, fight as well. Uh, You sit in those head coaches meetings and we're all competitors and we're intense. There's great, uh, great respect. I can't talk today. There is great respect for one another But there's things that happen outside that room and things like that where you're kind of like, come on. Now, Beamer did not say any names. He did confirm at least one of them is on the Gamecock schedule in 2023, uh, which, of course, leads us into this. You know i got to dive into it. Who do we think he's talking about? We know that there is no love lost between he and Kentucky's Mark Stoops. He and Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri seem like they wouldn't exactly be friends. Like, would Lane Kiffin's personality rub him the wrong way? Like, what about Jimbo Fisher, right? The way he put it on Tennessee this past year seemed like there could have been something extra there with Heupel. But, I mean, this is all completely speculation. I, I get the feeling he's fine with Saban and Kirby Smart. And Shane is ten. He's in great shape. But let's look at some of the other guys in this conference. Who would I bet on him against in a boxing match? Like, definitely Nick Saban. Brian Kelly, Josh Hypel, Hugh Freeze, uh, Drink at Mizzou. Like, I, th- I think he'd beat all those. Now, what about guys that I think would probably smoke him? Uh, Zach Arnett at Mississippi State looks like somebody you do not want to mess with. Same can probably be said for Clark Lee. I think Billy Napier's got a crazy streak. Um, I th- speaking of crazy, I think Kirby Smart's crazy. Like, you think he's so competitive, he'd keep landing haymakers even after the other guy's knocked out. Like, I'd- Kirby Smart's insane. So what are the more interesting Beamer matchups? Like, Mark Stoops could be interesting. He's feisty. He's 10 years older than Shane, uh, but he he played football at Iowa. Like, you know he's tough. Sam Putman has a massive size advantage, but Shane's younger and quicker. Like, I'm not sure what to think about Lane Kiffin. Like, Kiffin seems sly like a fox. He's in good shape. He's got good size, but kind of comes off maybe like the class clown, you know, that might not know what to do when he gets hit in the mouth. Um, but, he, I mean, he could be crazy. Like, Who knows? Uh, Jimbo Fisher, like you know, he's got a crazy streak in him. uh Seems like he's, you know, he's like that old man that's kind of tough. They could just lose it at any second. Like he doesn't impress conferences all the time. He's he's nuts. uh Finally, you know, let's talk about in-state rivalry. This is not a, a conference thing. But what do we think about Beamer against uh Dabo? A lot of people do not like the Clemson coach. Like is is Beamer one of them? Does he not like Dabo? Uh, Beamer was, of course, grinning through all this. I'd I'd love to get him some truth serum and hear what his real thoughts are on this. Like, name some names, brother. I'm sure Greg Sankey would be mortified by all of this, but, I mean, hey, it's March. Like, come on. <laughs> of course we're going to talk about this. It makes perfect sense. Uh, before we get out of here, I got to, I got two more stories that I want to hit on. We, we got to talk about California. sfgate.com ran an article called Invasive Aggressive Worms Spotted in California Again which sounds terrifying enough on its face. Uh, but then you dig into the article like these, quote, jumping worms. Yes, jumping worms were reportedly seen in Sacramento County. And they got some cool nicknames. Uh, the Alabama jumpers, <laughs> Jersey wrigglers, wood eels and crazy snake worms. Uh, now it, the actual name is the Asian jumping worm. Uh, it's known for its powerful thrashing and ability to jump over a foot in the air. They're voracious eaters and tend to devour the layer of fallen leaves that sits above the soil on forest floors. It says this is a problem because that layer is home to a wide number of small animals and is needed by many plants to grow and spread their seed. Uh, They were first spotted in Napa County, California in 2021. They apparently could have been spread here through mulch, potted plants, etc. And the eggs can be spread through raking or blowing fallen leaves or using those leaves as compost material. Now, this is freaking terrifying. Like, a worm that can jump a foot in the air? Like, those dudes are pretty gross already, but they can jump, too? Like, this blows my mind. We got pythons wiping out the Everglades. Now we got jumping worms eating all the leaves in California. Like, this this feels very much like the end of times to me. Ay, yay, yay. Speaking of the end of times, uh, I know who was planning on throwing the best Armageddon bash, and that would be the 19-year-old who broke into Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge and stole $1,500 worth of beer. Here's the report from WBRZ in Louisiana. It says, according to arrest documents, 19-year-old Bryce Talata and a group of college-age males were seen by LSUPD carrying several cases of beer around 3 a.m. Sunday. When the group saw the officers approaching, they fled and were not found. Surveillance video from Tiger Stadium from earlier in the night showed the group loading those same cases into a black pickup truck. Officers were able to track the truck to the Spruce Hall parking lot and found the owner, Talata, and got consent to search his room where they found the missing beer cases. Talata reportedly admitted to taking the beer from the stadium. In total, approximately $1,500 worth of beer was taken. He was arrested for one count of simple burglary. I got a lot of questions here, of course. Uh, First off, why are there cases of beer just sitting in tiger stadium? Like the next event there is not until September 9th from everything that I can tell. And, and surely they don't just sell old beer to patrons, right? Like on top of that beer from concessions and stadiums are typically in kegs. Like they're, they're not going to give somebody a bottle or a can to be able to throw into the field. And, and next, here's the next question. If you're a 19 year old, that's thrown down on a college campus Aren't there better ways to get beer than to go to the one place that you know is going to have cameras everywhere and that you know cops are going to be patrolling? Like, Tiger Stadium is a little bit of a cathedral down there. Like, this is not the smartest idea all the way around, but, hey, cheers to the kid who was willing to do whatever he needed in order to get that beer. I mean, $1,500 worth of beer? Like, a 12-pack of branded beer right now is, what, like $1,299, I think? So we're talking, like... We're talking like fourteen hundred beers. Like end of days party, indeed. I mean, good gracious. Hey, ay yay! All right, that's going to do it for Winnie cures everything, or at least this edition of it. Uh, if you haven't already, click that like button for me. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and the podcast. Remember the goal. I'm trying to get ten thousand subscribers this year. Also, uh, jump in the comments. I want to know what you think about you know everything that we talked about today. Uh, make sure and get signed up over at BetUS. As always, if there's something that you want to talk to me about on the show or that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up at GaryWCE on Twitter. Email me, Gary, at winningcureseverything.com. Or, as I mentioned before, you can always toss a question into the comments uh, or a podcast review on Apple Podcasts. Like, I hope you all have wonderful weeks. Until next time, of course, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. God bless college football and... Hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show.